Father, may my words, my thought, my heart have first been yours this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I know it's common these days to talk about the culture war. and Yet as I read Scripture, if the church is not at war with the world, down through the ages, then in some area we have failed to be the church. Several decades ago, there was a, the meeting of a staff a staff meeting of a church-run prep school in England. One of the gentlemen present there was a man by the name of Harry Blamires. And what happened that day urged him to eventually write a book called The Christian Mind. But what happened was something very similar. And if I, when I tell you what it is, people go, well, yeah, of course. Of course that's right. And Harry was saying, no, it's not right. Because what was happening is a group of people were saying, well, we need to change the way we do education because, after all, children are basically good. And Blameyers stood up and said, excuse me, but where in Scripture do you find that? And they basically told him to sit down, shut up, and just get with the program. Was Blameyers right to challenge their assumption? Let me ask you some questions. If you have children, when they were toddlers or even a little bit younger, did you have to teach them to be selfish? Or did you have to teach them to share? Did you have to teach them how to tell lies effectively? Or did you have to keep insisting again and again that they tell you the truth? And that they be truthful people? Even if you had really, really good children, didn't you need to teach them how to live in society with other people? And I don't mean just knowing the rules of society, but knowing how to be a good person in society. Let me ask you another question. If people are basically good, why do we have so many laws and rules to control our society? Oh, what was his name now? Charles, Charles, uh, the, the man who was uh, part of uh, Nixon's administration. Charles Colson is credited with having created a formula that says that when people are more moral, you need less laws and less police. And as people become less and less moral, we need more laws and more police. The story of creation in Genesis, at the very beginning... That story is that people, human beings, the man and the woman, were created good. But they sinned. They openly rebelled against God. They ultimately, uh, uh, totally sided with Satan against God, with the serpent. And when a time came for them to have children, their children were born something less than good. 
And in, even in that very next generation, a brother killed, one of their sons killed his own brother. And the story that you find recounted throughout Scripture is that sin becomes worse and worse and escalates and escalates and snowballs and snowballs. And then God, God finds a man who was a pretty good guy. His name was Abram. And God eventually changes his name to Abraham. And I say he was a pretty good guy. He was, but he wasn't perfect. Scripture is very candid that he screwed up a number of times. But he trusted God. He believed God. And for the most part, he obeyed God. God said, that's somebody I can work with. And so Abraham had, Abraham had children, and, and God worked with those children, and the, the nation of Israel was born. A people with whom God could have a relationship, a covenant. And this covenant included rules about how to, how to interact with God, how to interact with one another, how to interact with the nations around them. But the power of sin and rebellion persisted down through those generations as well. And they were not able to keep the covenant. And so, as we heard in our reading today, well, actually let me say differently that that inability to keep the covenant was no stranger to to people who are honest with themselves. Even the Apostle Paul could write in Romans chapter 7, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law at sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Even long before the Apostle Paul lived and wrote, God had told the prophet Jeremiah, and we heard it today in the reading, that the covenant with its rules wasn't working because the people were too rebellious, too sinful to keep its rules. And so he wrote, or actually the, law, the Lord said through Jeremiah, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And so I asked, you, I ask us, another question. If people are basically good, why can't we keep? Why can't we live by what are basically good rules? I, I have probably used this as an illustration with you guys before. I'm going to do it again, because I like it. 
If I were to go back into our Sunday school class, a room full of toddlers, basically good kids, and I were to take a piece of tape and divide the room in half with this piece of tape stuck to the floor, and I were to say, okay, I want everybody over on this side of the line, and they'd all go over, most probably. And I'd say, I'm going to leave the room for a little bit, but I would like you guys to promise me that you will not cross this line that I just put down here. I want all of you to stay over on that side. And there's a hidden camera, just for fun. What are you going to see? One or two of them are going to go, I got close to it. And then somebody's going to go, I touched it. And then somebody's going to go, I crossed it, then I got back again. Why? Because it's our nature. It's how it's how we become put together. A lot of these thoughts and feelings are reflected in the psalm that David wrote. The psalm that we heard this morning that, that comes from the heart of King David. And it's important as we ponder these words to remember that David was handpicked by God to be king. That Scripture said that he has a heart after God's heart. And that's why God chose him. And yet, and yet when David was brought face to face with his own sin, and not just his own sin, but his own sinfulness, his own sinful nature. When he was brought face to face with that, he writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Because Scripture said that he had a heart after God's own heart. I, I suspect David may have not been as self-righteous as, as many of us are tempted to be. But after this, there's no way that he could ever again ever doubt that he was a sinner. David was the king of Israel, directly chosen by God, but David was a sinner and he, he knew it. The other thing that David knew is that he could never do anything to undo his sin. There was nothing he could do to make it go away. Yet David, David had done a lot of good things. He had fought God's own battles. He had been a deliverer of Israel. He had been God's spokesman for so many things. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to undo the wrong, the sin, the rebellion of which he was guilty. David had amazing opportunities to do good in the future. He was the king. 
But he knew there was nothing he could do in the future to undo the wrong he had done. Besides, he knew all too well his sinful inclinations. David had offended a righteous and holy God and all he could do, all he could do, all, all he could do was to ask for forgiveness. In verse 5, David shows that he knows his problem with sin is far bigger than the monstrous sin he'd been caught in. David, in his shame, realized that sin is endemic to who he is as a human being. That it was part of his nature. And so he writes in verse 5, Surely, I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So our children, are people basically good? The Holy Spirit, riding through David, sounds a resounding, a resonant no. And a no that reverberates through all of Scripture. And David is certain that nothing, nothing except God's forgiveness will ever deliver him from his sin. And so he writes, cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me. And I'll be whiter than snow. Now it's important for us to know that the law that was part of God's covenant with His people included provisions for a sacrifice for sin. A way to find forgiveness. But David, David had learned something very, very important. And that's this. Without an internal change, external ritual means nothing. Without an internal change, external ritual means nothing. So he writes in verses 16 and 17, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise the internal change. As I read what David wrote, I'm reminded what Jesus said about and to the Pharisees. And in Matthew twelve thirty eight, as he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. And also this, in Luke eleven forty six, Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you! Because you load people down with burdens they cannot hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. You see, it is very, very possible for us to be expertly good at keeping the external ritual and law, expertly good at looking good, even to the point of being cruel, abusive, and uncaring. 
and our so-called goodness. You see, until our hearts change, until our hearts change, we can still be mean, abusive, judgmental, and cruel, and all the while be keeping up all the appearances of being righteous. Did you know that the word hypocrite is from a Greek word that basically means an actor in a play? Pretending to be something you're not? Jesus, Jesus told the Pharisees to pay attention to their insides. To pay attention to their hearts. He wrote or he said to them in, in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, clean up the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside will be clean. David understood that. That's why he cried out to God for a new heart. For a cleansing. Now, some have said that, that David's response proves that God is not interested in externals at all. That external things don't matter anymore. That, that David has dismissed external worship. But he didn't. David has not dismissed the external worship of God any more than Jesus did. The next verse in Psalm 51 proves it. Or next verses. David's prayer continues, In your good pleasure make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then, then there will be righteous sacrifices. Hold burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I thought he just said that sacrifices mean nothing to God. He meant sacrifices mean nothing to God when offered from a poor heart, from a, a sinful heart. From a greedy heart. From a pretending heart. And when the heart is right, when the internals are right, then the externals are going to be right. So we clean the inside of the dish. Or we ask God to. <coughs> Pardon me. You see, it's not the externals. Of the, it's not that the externals of faith and worship are wrong it's not that public devotion is somehow misguided. It's that our external and public worship, our external and public faith, needs to be the outgrowth of an internal transformation, a renewal of heart. That's in part what David had been asking for from God. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Create a pure heart in me, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is exactly 
what the prophet Jeremiah said that God would do once he inaugurates the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive all their wickedness and will remember their sins and no more. Isn't that exactly what David had been seeking from God in Psalm 51? Well, here we are, less than two weeks away from Good Friday. Less than two weeks away from observing the day that Jesus was nailed to a cross and died. If human beings are basically good, why do we need to have our hearts changed? If human beings are basically good, why do we need a Savior? If human beings are basically good, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Yeah, some have said He didn't really have to die on the cross. It was all a mistake, a miscalculation on the part of Jesus. Including some very famous people have said that. But Scripture wants us to understand that Jesus knew exactly what He was doing and deliberately went to the cross. In our Gospel reading today, as Jesus saw the cross drawing closer and closer, we hear Him say, Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason. But I came to this hour. And Paul makes it clear that Jesus intentionally died to atone for our sins, to bring us forgiveness, to become a sin offering for us. In Romans 8, 3, he wrote, For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And the result of this in our lives, when we accept, when we receive it, the result of this in our lives is transformation. And so Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. <clears throat> but the hardest thing, the hardest thing about grace, the hardest thing about God's forgiveness is having to come to grips within ourselves of the reality that you and I really do need it. <coughs> Excuse me.
Have you and I really understood how much, like King David long ago, how much you and I need the forgiveness of God? Have we ever plumbed the depths of our own sinfulness? Have we ever seen our own corruption laid bare and open without being able to hide or pretend or or cover it up with a fig leaf somehow? His grace, His forgiveness can only be accepted, can only be received by those who know that they need it. And have the humility to accept and confess that. But when we do understand that, when we do come to grips with just how much we need God's forgiveness, we can do exactly what our reading from Hebrews today told us we should do. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's a verse in John, I think the third chapter, where it said that this is the judgment. That light has come into the world, but men love the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. What God asks us to do is to have the humility to boldly stand in the light. To stop running back into the darkness and say, God, here I am. And if you don't forgive me, I have no hope. But I believe. I believe that Jesus died. So that I could stand here. And you will forgive me. I'd ask you to take just a few moments to reflect. To perhaps plumb the depths of your own sinfulness and rebellion. And ask God to show you where you need to receive his forgiveness and grace. Today.